Download the Cliff Central app. Available now on the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. This is CliffCentral.com. Murray to Henderson, slips another tackle. Henderson's going here. Murray in once more. Here comes Henry. Supported by Best. Everyone supported by Best. Will Best get the drive? Still playing. Murray has to be scored either way now. Murray's got it. Follow the post. Stayed away. And Ireland there in that moment proved they have a game to worry anybody. Absolutely fantastic from Ireland. Brilliant carries. Henderson, O'Brien, Henry, Conor Murray at the back of it, finishing off the try, but brilliant, brilliant work from Ireland. Well, that's it. That's it. That is the pool stage is done. And Ireland, well, Ireland with the big result from the weekend, which means they avoid the All Blacks, which is the, I suppose, first and, first and foremost goal of that group. Welcome to it. The next edition of Rugby Central it is the knockout stages that we're going into right now. And that means that it's down to the business, well, start of the business, really. If you're going to listen to any of the cliches coming out of the post-match press conferences, it is that the job starts now. So, really nice action-packed show today because we've got a lot of stats for you today. Now, I'm not just bringing in stats because I've run out of things to say. We're bringing in stats to kind of just put a little bit of context into what the pool stages have brought us. It has been very interesting so far, this this Rugby World Cup. Stats are basically things that make you do sound quite intelligent with your mates. So if you do want to wow them with a couple of things, let's kick off with a couple. The attendance so far, and let's try to do this without being like Jacob Zuma, 1,881,023. That is the attendance so far with the games. The points scored well has been 2,020 points. That works out if you divide that by 40. Basically 51 points per match. And they've been very, very exciting games. Very, very few uh, no-try contests. I think just the one, actually. And that took place over the weekend, which we'll get to in a bit. 231 tries. Some of them very, very exciting. Very, very good tries. Conversions, 164. Drop goals, just three. So the guys really are rolling the dice and attack here. All you want to see. And penalties scored, 176. So more tries than penalties. And more people than I think would ever watch the Curry Cup for the last 20,000 years. It has been an exciting Rugby World Cup, and we did say so from the start. So to give you an idea of what's coming up in the show today, well, we're going to get through all the latest uh, results and what they all mean. We're going to quickly look at the final standings of the pools, and then we chatted to Keith Moore today. Now, Keith's the guy I chatted to before in uh, previous podcasts I've done on another station. He is a very, very insightful guy living in London, and, uh, of course, we want to get some like word on the ground, so to speak. So Keith's going to join us and just kind of get a little more context to how the teams have finished, what we're looking forward to going into the quarterfinals, and then itself the quarterfinals. We've got four amazing matchups. Barring uh, Japan maybe being in there, you couldn't ask for better games right now. I think the way they're set up and how they're being played, it is going to be such an exciting weekend. And um, it's kind of cool to see where all the teams are because we've all had relatively easy pools, except for maybe Pool A. So those teams have been thrashing the crap out of each other, whereas South Africa's had a much easier run, as have New Zealand. So interesting to see now when we get to the crunch, if it's going to be beneficial or detrimental to have those runs, and all the answers shall be revealed. So this time next week, we're going to be much wiser as rugby fans. So just to kind of preempt on that, we can give you all the details. If you want to get in touch with us today, 
well, if you want to chat to us, the number is 0861-555-189. Of course, if you listen to this on podcast, that number doesn't apply because we're doing the live show now, but you listen to recorded, obviously. On Twitter, just tweet me at followthebounce. Anything you want to talk about, just get it up there. Or if you want to chat to us on the WeChat, just chat to us on the official Cliff Central page. All messages will come up on the screen, and I will hopefully get to them through the course of the show. So let's get into it. It was a really, really great weekend of of rugby. England, of course, they were already out of it. But uh, yeah, they still play. They still play in front of a passionate home home crowd base. And it's just so good to see. I think there's been so many different sort of stories coming out of this World Cup. And one of them is that rugby really is. It's like the kind of sport you want to, you know, you want to bring home to your mother. You're not going to bring football home. Cricket also has its dodgy, seedier sides. American sports don't make sense. And as for the Olympics, well, with all the corruption, it's just very much like FIFA. Rugby, on the other hand, what a great sport. What great spirit has been shown. The amount of teams that have been clapping each other off from the fields, the sportsmanship, and just the fans. And it's not because the booze is cheap at Rugby World Cup. Far from it, so, you know, with the English pound being what it is. Everyone is having a great time. People are making friends all over the place. The spirit has been so good from start to finish. And I think it'll only get better as these games get more and more tense. So just to get into that first match, New Zealand from the weekend, it was their final run out before they got into the into the knockouts. And yeah, they still haven't really, really been tested. And uh, brushing Tonga aside, 47-9, showed again that, you know, the team's got everything it possibly needs, but can it kind of kick on to the next level? Well, they haven't needed to. And they have an opposition in order to do that. It's one thing saying, you know, you're only as good as the people you're playing against. But the thing is, you'll never test certain aspects unless your opposition will, ma- will match you. We saw it with the USA versus SA. There's nothing really going to be tested from the box there because the US team was so weak. Then, one of the, weekend, one of the weekend's big, big clashes was Samoa versus Scotland. Now, we all knew going into this one that Samoa had to win so that Japan could possibly get through at the expense of Scotland. Now, Japan were, were kind of the tournament favorites the moment they beat South Africa. I think that was everyone's second team, and there was so much excitement around those guys, and rightly so. They, they achieved something that was really quite spectacular. So the Samoa game, well, Samoa came out firing. This is a team that's disappointed throughout the World Cup so far. They've really been, I don't know what the problem is, whether it's just they haven't got the player mix right, or they just haven't got quite the motivation that you would think. Because when before the tournament, they hosted New Zealand in a midweek match, and the intensity and the flair and the commitment they played with was really, really encouraging. You looked at that and you thought, well, here's a team that's actually really challenged the All Blacks today. Surely they're going to do well in Pool B. Wasn't to be, though. They came out on Saturday firing, but they just couldn't quite hold their composure, which is always the big problem with the Samoans. Eventually going down 36-33 to Scotland. That their captain Laidlaw scored a try, and uh, that was that. Scotland's big, big moment because they are going to be so battered and bruised today. As I said earlier on the uh, Gareth Cliff show during the sport this morning, if these guys still aren't in ice baths, I'll be massively surprised. Every single hit coming in on these guys was just fast, furious, hard, and you could feel it just sitting at watching in your lounge. So Scotland go through on the back of that victory. The next game was Australia versus Wales. Now, there was so much to look into this match because, again, the incentive to finish these pools has been so huge. So if you look at Pool A, they're obviously going to go against uh, Pool B. So the loser will play the winner of Pool B and vice versa. So Australia unbeaten, Wales unbeaten going into this one. Wales, of course, with the huge injury worries. So much so that to play star players out of position. Uh, George North being a major example of that. And he just looked a bit blunt as an attacking option, whereas he's normally so devastating. They had to bring in Anscom, that Kiwi guy at the back, and he definitely didn't make much of an impact. And then forward-wise, well... 
these guys are fit they're passionate you'll always hear about the fact that they're trained in freezing temperatures then they're trained in the desert and they're up for anything and they're well coached and they're passionate but still the game plan just wasn't right um they couldn't breach the aussie uh, defense even when the shackle dragons were down to 13 players for about seven or eight minutes they had a two-man advantage Wales just could never stretch the defences. Uh, Dan Bigger missed his first kick at the tournament as well. So a pretty disappointing day for Wales all round. They lost that one 15-6. Australia obviously would have um, would have preferred having Michael Hooper playing for them. He was suspended for the game. Um, but yeah, his understudy, some 21-year-old guy, he was incredible. So not no major gap there. But one big worry for Australia coming to this one, you might see a gif going around on Twitter of uh, Pocock kneeing a Welsh guy in the chest. Admittedly, the Welsh guy was being a bit of a dick. He was holding Pocock back at a ruck. And if you're ever playing against Pocock, you know if you can isolate that guy and minimize his ability to slow down your ball or create quick ball for the, the opposition, that's I mean, he's either a go-to target. So this guy was holding him back, and then Pocock retaliated by just kneeing him in the sternum. It looked bloody sore. So whether that one finds a sighting commission or not, it definitely found the Twitter sighting commission last night, and many people were outraged at it. Final game from uh, that day, of course, was the Saturday matches. England 60 points to three over Uruguay. Uruguay are essentially an amateur team, one of the few remaining in World Rugby at the World Cup. And uh, England put in, I think it was 10 tries in total. Uh, veteran eighth man Nick Easter scoring a hat-trick, so... It was always going to be this way. Uh, I think the most important thing to take out of this match was that England still had fans after the dismal, dismal campaign they had. Mike Brown, the talented and massively outspoken fullback, he uh, kind of wrote one of those open letters. Now, this is one of those things you do in the internet. It's a very um, sort of in vogue thing to do. Well, I'll tell you what, he actually made some really, really good points. And I think there's something should come out of this. Now, what normally happens is when players speak out, they normally get dropped because people don't want their authorities being challenged, especially coaches who are feeling a bit insecure right now. So, and look, before the match, there was the whole thing about the assistant coaches not being allowed in the tunnel. So England aren't exactly in a really good space right now, but Mike Brown came out and he just cut through all the crap. And he said that, you know, it wasn't from a lack of effort, a lack of trying. It's just that they're not good enough and they need to work out what is going to make them better and what's going to make them better in each position. Yeah, he said, you know, the cold reality is that many guys in the English team wouldn't even make the Lions team right now, let alone a World 15. So good on you, Mike Brown. I hope these words don't get you into hot water because, I mean, if you look at the stats of line breaks and meters gained, all that kind of stuff, Mike Brown is one of the stars of the tournament despite playing so little. So yeah, crushing result, losing to Wales, then losing to Australia. So this Uruguay game was just basically a way of saying thanks to the fans, but uh, we'll have to come back next time. Interesting enough, the South Africans have now taken over the home base for um, uh, the English. English, of course, had the best facilities, the pick of the bunch, because it's quite nice when you do set yourself up in a small country like this. You don't really have to like move around a lot, so you can have a central base, and then you just bus it to the various grounds. So South Africa are going to be in England's snazzy base. I just hope the uh, the trend of losing doesn't get onto them from there. Other matches from the weekend, catch up on again. Argentina, 64, Namibia, 19. Now, Argentina have been running amok in this, this, uh, this group of theirs. They came so close against New Zealand, and then they just blown away every single minnow nation away from that. They've got some exciting back. They're scoring some really, really great tries. So much so that they rank really highly in the stats. Now, we'll get to those uh, later in the show after we chat to um, Keith. Another match that was very entertaining and rather close, very, a little bit too close for Italy. That was Italy's 32-22 win over Romania. 
Romania, of course, had a slight chance of trying to beat Italy there and then finishing third in the pool. Now, if you finish third in the pool for this World Cup, it means you automatically qualify for the next World Cup, which is obviously a very cool thing. It takes away that whole rigmarole of having to qualify and playing dodgy countries and dodgy places. So, which then brought us up to the big game of the Sunday, which was Ireland against France. Now, this was always going to be seen as a very tight duel. France generally pretty good in World Cups, even though, you know, you never know at France what they really want to do because they keep changing. There's no real continuity. We all know that their local domestics uh, league has been very sort of um, overrun with foreigners, uh, which is good for the teams, obviously, if you look at title success, but not great for developing local talent. So they came into this one quite tightly matched. Ireland weren't very convincing against Italy whatsoever, but many people say don't judge that result. They're saving it all for the game against France. So they can top the pool. And boy, did they do just that. Uh, they lost talismanic... Uh, talismanic a word let's just go with talisman they lost uh, Johnny Sexton quite early on the, those Frenchies were just targeting him from the start with just large really really big hits on him all legal though so good for them they then lost Paul O'Connell just before half time he went down on an absolute heap and at his age when you go down on a heap you don't often bounce back so suddenly they had their two star players out the captain and the flyer were gone they went into the break 9-6 up against the French I think, who knows what the French really, really wanted out of this match. Uh, St. Andre, the, the coach, said that, you know, they don't obviously want to lose, but they're playing New Zealand now, and such is their fate. <laughs> I'm going to guess the fact that they didn't seem too bothered at half time. They're like, you know what? If it's not going to go our way, we're not going to cry about it. Because Ireland then powered on, even with having to lose two players. Then they lost a third player. They lost their flank as well. And they went out and they won that one 24 6. So Ireland topped that pool. And, um, yeah, fully deserving of that. But the interesting thing about that is that, sure, they topped the pool. But now they've got Argentina. Now, if you were going to this World Cup, you were going to say, right, who are the real, real challengers going to knock around? You would say Argentina perhaps would be there, but they wouldn't be like the major, major teams. You know, it wouldn't be the big, big threat. But everything about this Argentinian team looks really, really strong right now. We all know that it would come to the World Cup. They were pretty strong the last time they was played there in 2007, okay? They beat France twice, ended up finishing third. I think this is a real danger team, and I think that um, I wouldn't be surprised if both Ireland and France bow out this weekend. I know that sounds quite strong, especially after Ireland was so spirited, but the thing is, they dug so deep to get everything out of that French match. They're now going to probably be without Sexton, definitely without O'Connell. And now they're playing an Argentinian team with, well, no pressure whatsoever, but so much momentum. And, of course, they've got a great, great scrum. You got a great scrum. It's worth its weight in gold in this tournament, and everything comes from that. So, wow! Well into Ireland for winning that group. Whether it's going to be um, the easier game, well, sure. You know, you know. Obviously, you don't want to play the All Blacks, but uh, Argentina. Wow, tough, tough group. Anyway, USA Japan was the final game. We all knew that USA uh, they sort of saved their players for this game. They wanted to win the one World Cup game. Japan, other ideas, though, they were a much stronger side, Japan. They're always going to win this one. Ten points, the difference in the end there. And uh, that means that Japan sadly go out. Uh, it's a real shame, really, because they were deserving, far more deserving, you think, of the Scotland. Yes, Scotland did beat them quite heavily in the pool, but they just beat them the, the, the box. T to maintain, like, the big result after such a huge win like that, wow, near impossible. So Japan, they do finish third. Obviously, they do qualify for next World Cup because they're hosting it. But yeah, it's if they can just work on this, make the progress, and go from strength to strength, this is one hell of a rugby nation on the rise here. Yes, they will rely on foreigners, 
but which country doesn't nowadays? I think it's just Argentina and South Africa and, oh, it's not, not the All Blacks. Uh, Argentina and South Africa are the two strongest as far as fielding people born in their own country. It's just the beast who wasn't born in SA. Every Argentine was born in Argentina. So good on Japan. Good on Eddie Jones who now leaves to go be the Stormers coach slash maybe England if the opportunity comes up. Right, so we're going to chat to Keith about the quarterfinals. But let's just get into the stats first of the pool stages. A lot happened. And yes, you might say that stats really don't make a big difference going into the pool stages or coming out of the pool stages because some guys had easier games. Some people had much harder games. Sure, granted, but let's just go through it anyway because it's nice to see who the stars are going forward. And especially if rugby is a first-time thing for you, people often start watching sport during World Cup. So we can't... Um, can't sort of sideline them. So if you are a rugby fan through and through and you find the stats quite superfluous, well, bear with me for a second. Let's start with the players themselves, right? Tries. Brian Abana, Julian Sevilla, on fire, five each. Yes, they had some easier run-ins against teams like the USA and teams like Namibia and Tonga and those kind of people. But still, it's all about finishing. And those guys are top of the pile, five each. DTH, Fundamerva. DTH, that just sounds something very, very crude. Anyway, DTH better than DTF. Anyway, he had four. The South African-born Canadian winger. He also had the most meters gained as a runner in the World Cup, so good for him because Canada were on, well, they finished bottom of their pool, so they won many, many losing cause. But DTH, good on you, man. Four tries. Gareth Davies from Wales, JP Peterson, and Neha Mulnaskada from New Zealand all had four and then there's 10 players who scored three tries so far. When it comes to points, the Scottish captain, Greg Laidlaw, he is the highest scoring guy in the World Cup so far. He'll play one more match though, so look for him to fall off this um, list quite shortly. As is our, let me try take a deep breath and pronounce this properly, Ariyumu Goryamru. Okay, <laughs> I completely, completely butchered that. Goryamru. He is the Japanese guy. He did so well. Uh, of course, his World Cup campaign's out of the way, though. It's all done. 58 points for him. And then Bernard Ferdi, the Aussie guy, 56 points. He is now the favorite to finish on top because Australia, I reckon they are going straight to the finals. That team, there's so much in reserve that we haven't seen yet from the Aussie team. And uh, they got great replacements as well. Defenders beaten. Now, the reason I did want to bring up the stats before we get into the chat with Keith is that obviously South Africa took a lot of flack at the beginning of this World Cup, coming into the tournament with no form whatsoever. They also took a lot of flack because they lost to Japan. So you wouldn't be called pessimistic to say that this team doesn't deserve a hell of a lot. But they've clawed their way back. And Damien de Allende, of course, he didn't play in the opening game, but he played ever since. He leads the list of defenders beaten with 18, which is a really good thing. So it's just going away from the old dull, boring South African rugby of running into players. Here's a guy who's really leading the charge of trying to beat players. 18, that tops the list. Mike Brown, the outspoken uh, English fullback we just spoke about. Yeah, 17. And then Nahem Mulnaskada and Namani Nadolo. Nadolo, of course, the big Fijian wing. They're with 16 each. When it comes to clean breaks, Anthony Watson from England. So England do have the players, as you can see. They're doing well, these attacking stats. Anthony Watson with 11 clean breaks. Followed by Ben Smith and Toulouse Vianu. They eight each along with Milner Scudder, Mike Brown, Brian Abana, and Juan Imoff. All on eight clean breaks. Look after the name Juan Imoff. He was, of course, the guy who scored a hat-trick against South Africa in the rugby championship. He's doing pretty well in this tournament too. When it comes to tackles, well, these are the guys who are often on losing causes. Um, you know, when you're under huge, huge amounts of pressure and stress, you've got to tackle your heart out. And that's exactly what Santiago Villaseca, Villaseca, 
Sorry, a bit tongue tied here. Santiago Villaseca, fifty three. Francisco Minto and Torsten van Jarsveld. They were uh, 52 tackles each. And then Lota Yago hasn't played every minute of this World Cup yet, but there he is, 50 tackles. Now, if, you've been, if you are the size that Lota Yago is and you're putting in 50 tackles, you are playing, well, pick a saying, audio boots above your weight, everything and everything. Incredible, incredible effort so far from Lota Yago, which does then beg the question. Victor Matfield still not 100% with the hamstring. Going to this weekend, well, we have to wait and see. But look, Diogo, if he starts, I think South Africa are only the better off for it. Because, yes, Victor will do a huge amount, as say, in the captaincy leadership role, directing the set pieces. But when you've got a guy who's out tackling you, well, you know, Victor's stats have been pretty good too. But there's a guy, when, when Lord Diogo tackles you, there's not a very good chance you're going to go forward or offload. So all things for Hany Kamea to consider going into the quarterfinals. Into the teams now. Now, which teams are really looking good? Well, you'll be expect the ones that are in the quarterfinals. Those are the ones that are going to snap up on our list here. Most tries to the tournament so far. No surprise, New Zealand. Much weaker pool than the rest and a much stronger team than the rest. They have scored 25 tries. Second place is South Africa on 23, Argentina on 22, and then we've got Australia on 17 and Ireland on 16. Ireland had took a lot of flack about not scoring many tries going into this World Cup. Of course, they've got a very resolute defense, but tries aren't something that come that naturally. But there we go. Fifth place, which is pretty good considering they had a, well, they had France and Italy. Those are your two tough teams. So maybe they could have actually done better. Defenders beaten. We've got Argentina right on top there, 136. Then we've got a bit of a gap with South Africa in second, 114 defenders beaten. And then third, England, 109 defenders beaten. It's got to wonder about this English team. They had so much going forward. They actually weren't that bad. But yeah, obviously it's not a good enough structure. Leaky defense. New Zealand, they have 106 defenders beaten. And then surprisingly, fifth place, Georgia with 100 defenders beaten. Those plucky Georgians. Clean breaks. Argentina topped this one again. 46 clean breaks. New Zealand, 42. 38 for South Africa. 36 for England. And 5 for Australia. Sorry, fifth place, 31 for Australia. So that's your clean breaks. Onto points, uh, Argentina are top in that one, 179. And then New Zealand, 174. South Africa, 171. Australia, 141. And Scotland, 136. You want to know who made the most tackles? Well, if we can take all those stats together, uh, yes, Scotland. They were in some pretty tough battles. Uh, 582 tackles amongst them. And then uh, we've got um, a typo. Sorry. Samoa third, Georgia five one two and fourth, and the USA in five oh three. So you can draw a lot of stats into all these things, or you can just look at the scoreboard. All depends on you. There are some pretty interesting stats, and we will chat to Keith about those a little bit more as well. But if you want to pick up all the stats, the tool that I use is the Vodacom Rugby Stats app. You get on your tablet, you get on your phone. It's all very very basic. Um, go on to the categories. You get team, you get players. You get team versus team, which we're going to touch on a bit now. So if you want to become slightly sharper with your rugby knowledge, that, that app is a real, real plus. Okay, so we've got on to Keith now. Now, sorry if I feel a bit rushed today. Uh, we do our, we have one, one guest short. It's just running out of fresh voices for you. Of course, the idea is that every week we provide fresh insights, not just the tried and tested, uh, because that's what rugby is. It should be an interesting place to be, especially with the World Cup time. So what we're going to do is we're going to get the... Thoughts of uh, Stuart Lancaster, and then we're going to get Keith straight after this. Play. Stuart, could you say um, 
how moved you were by the levels of support England got tonight from this crowd in Manchester. Yeah, I mean, I made the point in an earlier interview. The um, even from just getting off the bus to to the game, and I thought for the boys at the end, you know, the reaction was fantastic. You know, it's been a real tough week, and uh, the boys have um, hurting, uh, and I thought the reaction was fantastic, really, because it's given them a huge lift and uh, you know confidence to know that the um, the country's still behind them, which is which is important, obviously, going forward. And was that just the way after that tough week you wanted? the boys to, to sign off and the, the way you wanted England to be remembered at this tournament. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the point I made, you know, um, about the memory being the one that lasts and, uh, you know, the memory of this game and the performance and, and some of the tries we scored was exactly what they wanted to sign off. You know, we scored four tries against Fiji, no, no one's done that um, in, in the tournament. We've, um, you know, we've had, scored some really good tries in the uh, in the lead-up to it and the Wales game, obviously, with 22, 10, 10 up, 12 up, so... You know, we've not been far away, but um, obviously we're not we're not going through the quarters, which still hurts. Hi, um, obviously I am the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold. We are one. Welcome back to Rugby Central. It is a lovely Monday morning. Not so lovely if you are English, but of course, just um, nice to hear the thoughts of Stuart Lancaster around the fact that his team wasn't exactly booed or had rotten fruit, uh, rotten fruit thrown at them. They still have a support base, and people are still quite sympathetic towards them. But to cho- join us from England is Keith Moore. Keith, you with us? Hi, um, morning, Ben. How are you doing? Yeah, super, thanks. Now, Keith, I wanted to, for this rugby central idea, I was chatting to Gareth about what you want to do during the World Cup and just give like a one-hour podcast to kind of give everyone a little marker as where to be. And uh, you're definitely a guest that I really wanted to get on, not just because you're from England, or sorry, you're living in England right now, <laughs> but uh, I have enjoyed your views as, as a fellow blogger over the time. Now, just tell us about the, the current vibe in England. Is it very, very deflating, or is it more just the fact that people have got over it already? Yeah, I think a little bit mixture of both. I think it, it is quite deflated, unfortunately. Um, you know, there is a World Cup to carry on with, but unfortunately, the autopsy of uh, England rugby has, uh, has started as of this morning. Um, the guys are the, the England fans have been feeling a bit flat recently, as you can imagine, and I think it was probably made a bit worse the fact that they had to go out and play a Uruguay game when that would have been the last thing they wanted to do or watch or, and you know, it was a lose-lose situation for England. Um, so hopefully the guys get back up for it, you know, the rest of the country, um, the rest of the UK. But, yeah, at the moment it does seem a bit flat, yeah. Okay, well, inevitable question. Is Stuart Lancaster going to keep his job? I don't think so. I think if you listen to the way he talks, he's um, he, he talks about, I'm just listening to them now, he says they and them when he's talking about the team rather than us and we and I think he's already realized that it, that his time is up. And unfortunately, the guys who are running the show, um, you know, maybe have looked, maybe look like they've got a bit of egg on their faces with their selection of Lancaster ahead of a few guys who were potentially more qualified for the job um, back in 2012. But I, I can't see him carrying on. Um, there's talk that he may offer his resignation. I don't know, but I think they might take the job away from him from now. Well, I heard a little rumor, and we'll get to the World Cup proper, but I just think this is something we should address first up. I heard a rumor that it's probably in his best interest to kind of stay on as like a talent uh, development kind of guy and take on that sort of role within the structure. But 
again, like, would he be good for that, seeing as he thought he had the right talent going to this World Cup in the last four years? Yeah, I think for me personally, um, he's been a good man manager, but his selections have been questionable at best. That uh, that game against Australia, you know, you're selecting Chris Robshaw at seven, which was something he'd been doing for a few years, admittedly, but his selections have been possibly the worst thing that he's brought to the job. I do also think with um, England sport in general, you know, they're very quick to get rid of a regime. Once it goes wrong, they don't really look to sort of maybe fix it or whatever, but there's going to be a unraveling over the or so at least um, for the next two, three weeks. And, uh, you know, rumors are flying around about all sorts of stuff to do with Sam Burgess and what he was promised in coming in. But again, just rumors. But yeah, I think there will be enough sort of stuff for them to dust under the carpet that they'll eventually say, look, it's not worth it and, uh, and just move on from him. Yeah, and it gets pretty tough from there because they do have a tour of Australia to look forward to as well, which is something you don't really want to do with, um, with who knows in your, in your group. Now, of course, from, from what we'll understand of Lancaster is that he was a guy that had, like, you've got to think for English job, he's got, you've got lots of resources, you've got a lot of support, obviously you've got a lot of money. Uh, you've got, they keep saying it, but I don't think it's a relative step, but they've got the most registered professional rugby players in the yeah. world. Uh, all amounts to no Six Nations wins. Uh, second doesn't quite cut it. And then, of course, this World Cup thing. People always allude back to the fact that Clive Woodward as well, you know, he got eight years. He was given a lot of faith and he was quite eccentric and he had this huge, like, backup staff. But I think he was like a, maybe a once in a generation kind of guy. I don't think Lancaster can ever be put in the same group as him. No, I wouldn't say so. And you, you listen to the two of them talk, and Lancaster talks a lot more about emotion, whereas Woodward talks a lot more about the actual technical side of rugby. And I think that's probably Lancaster's shortfall. You know, he's a good man manager, as I said earlier, but mm. his ability to to break down other teams really doesn't come down too much. And his he talked there again in that quote that, that just came on now about how they were the only team to score that many tries against Fiji, and they came close, and this and that. I think you're looking at missed opportunities that his. his Duncan, we have learned. Sorry, Keith, you just broke up there for a second. I uh, was just saying he's been saying for the, the 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 last few weeks that he's been learning from mistakes, but they clearly haven't. And if they have been learning, they haven't been implementing on the field. So, yeah, I, I don't think that he has the technical know-how to do it. And whether or not Andy Farrell, Rantry, and my cat did, I don't know. Whether they'll go with him, I don't know. But I think they've been shown up technically, and and for a long time that's been the case. Yeah, okay. Well, just final question to draw a line of this. Do you reckon that England will go foreign, coach-wise? Well, n- not with the current. So there's been talk about Dean Ryan and a few other guys have asked for the, the, the entire RFU to be audited, never mind the coaching staff. And, oh. and, and as long as the RFU aren't, as long as those guys, Rob Andrew and them, are still in their job, I don't see them bringing in a foreigner, no. Yeah, well, they've got such a hard and fast uh player policy if you look at um mm-hmm. exactly. you know, if you don't play in england you're not gonna make a team like keith i just want to run through the pools for you i've i thought it'd be interesting to take, go through the stats to see who's been really shining in the pool stages no you can't mm-hmm. draw a lot from stats because sometimes you know they're quite skewed with opposition put out i mean if you just look mm-hmm. at what what happened with sa in their pool you know mm-hmm. if it's one thing playing weaker teams but when weaker teams field weaker teams you know that like usa yeah. was saving themselves scotland was saving themselves so yeah mm. maybe we shouldn't look too much into brian Evander's line breaks for instance <laughs> but to look like a sort of um sort of more sort of outward uh kind of viewpoint pool a it was going to always going to be the pool of death what do mm. we really learn from the teams that have gone through here australia and wales 
Um, Australia probably less so. I think Wales have shown a lot of um, their their team, the team dynamic, the the closeness of that squad has, has shone through. Now they haven't been the most flash side and uh, and whatnot, but in terms of how they've been able to adapt when things have gone wrong, they've been the best. And um, mm-hmm. we've got a guy, uh, John Davies, who does a column for us, and he was saying that in that England game, how we felt it was won by Wales was the superior fitness because he said the decision making was easier when you, you know, when you're fit and fatigue's not setting in as much your decision making is better. So their fitness they they they're well drilled and they really do fight. I know it's a cliche but they fight for each other and I and that's only gonna get you so far. Um but it got them out the pool and I suppose as they say again another cliche it's now it's anyone's game. But I feel we learned that about Wales who you know they lost they were one of the form teams going into the Six Nations and they lost to England that card of after leading quite handsomely at half time mm. and you know, it, people were asking questions of them, and I think they've answered those. Australia, they've been such a weird team to watch because, you know, they sort of didn't really do anything much against Fiji. They flew under the radar. Then they came up against England and absolutely blew them away, I felt, yeah. although England maybe made them look good. But then against Wales, again, they, they failed to score any tries. But their defence was incredible. So I, I think Australia are proving themselves to be a... Uh, a very sort of streetwise side, and they'll sort of do what it takes. But Wales, more importantly, you know, given that we're going to have to play in the quarterfinals, they're the ones that I worry about just because of how hard they work. Mm. And of course, Australia found a scrum somewhere on en route from S- Sydney to London, which is also hugely impressive. <laughs> but no, look, <laughs> yeah, I'm if, 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 scary. You, if you look at look at the way the pool is from a South African perspective, we're not going to really touch mm. Australia until the finals, I would say, if mm. if and yeah. when they both do make it. Wales have been an yeah. interesting thing though, because they're obviously dogged by terrible injuries. But yeah. as much as and as much as people like to hate him, Warren Gatland there's another guy. He's been the, he's been the coach there for a long time. Very very rugby astute guy. Obviously New Zealander. So he's bringing something different to the mix. He's shown that a little bit of street smarts, a little bit of this and that, can actually really make a team despite the resources being on the way. But then came Saturday's game, and um, and I agree with you wholeheartedly about the fact that the Welsh have adapted. That last twenty against England was amazing. But I think it will mm. stick with them how numerical advantage times two players and they could not get through that defense yeah. it didn't look like they were trying anything they were picking going which was obviously going to draw defenders yeah. in but you pick and go to make space and the space was never mm. used so mm. it's an interesting thing to kind of look at as far as if if we looked at south africa looked at the, the best uh, outcome wales in the quarters with injuries for sure yeah. take it any day but still yeah. hardly hardly a, a a pushover because Dan Bigger, we know he's a great fly off and uh, those guys play so well to the breakdown. You know, it's getting mm. back to all these things. They play for each other. They're very passionate and hugely fit. So people are saying box to easily win that one. Uh, I think Mark Keohan went as far as say it'll be an easy 10 point win at least. Well, I think, Heine- <laughs> I think Heineken may takes really big wins and he whittles them down to tightly close. <laughs> four to yeah, he, he likes, he likes to keep the viewership high with, uh, with tense finishes. I, I I, I worry about us against Wales, before, you know, for the reasons you've outlined. Uh, I, I worry about complacency more than anything else. That's our biggest threat right now. I don't think Wales are as big a threat as complacency. Well, speaking of complacency, let's go straight into Pool B then. South Africa did come away with the victory there, and then Scotland joined them. So, look, I think this is a very sort of open-shut case as far as discussion. Scotland mm. made it by being the best of the worst, so to speak. They're so yeah. battered off that Samoa game. They're not going to offer much to Australia. Springboks, on the other hand, well, you know, it's do we do this, do we do that? Very unsettled. Still looking okay, though. 
what do you reckon is the only, the only downfalls going with South Africa right now? Because we all know that if they play their game and they just block some oaks, they're still going to be decent. And if Pollard can kick, we can still probably win it. But what for you are the fundamentals still, uh, you know, sort of out to, out to the jury right now? Um, well, I think one of my issues with, uh, with Heineken May in recent times is his, um, the way he rushes players back into a team, um, I think our lock pairing with Itzabeth and uh, Diaka has been an absolute revelation and, and it's been so good to watch them play together. I would really not be too happy if, if Victor Matfield sort of got parachuted back into that team because I think those two are playing really well. Through Dupre's leadership, um, you know, he sort of was a, maybe some people thought he was a bit left field in, in, in the selection of him to, to lead the team. But I went to the Scotland game and I went to the USA game. And what I said to people afterwards, you know, there were things that maybe from a rugby perspective we didn't execute properly. But the way that the leaders of that team pulled everyone together at every single stoppage and play and they called each other and said, what are we going to do now? What's next? And we're talking about when you're 30, 35 points up against America and they're still saying, right, what's the plan? Where do we go from here? Mm. The leadership has stepped up and and it was missing you know you watch that japan game when whenever they were they'd scored a try the guys were just standing there watching the conversion there was no conversations when scotland scored against us we we had the momentum everyone was called in okay guys what are we going to do how are we going to do this this is how we're going to do the kickoff it was all communication all on board and everyone doing the same thing so from that perspective i'm very happy with the way the team looks at the moment and i think that japan loss as terrible as it was at the time, couldn't have come at a better time. It's galvanized the team and given it a sort of a rudder where it potentially was missing for me. Yeah, well, yeah, we try not to dwell too much on the Japan loss. I mean, obviously, you didn't, you weren't living in the place where it happened, well, where the aftershocks <laughs> yeah. really, really went through. I mean, I'd, seriously, I think the next day I went to pick and pay to go do like a weekly shop. And even that was quiet. <laughs> like there was less people. And there's yeah. a couple of dejected people walking around hungover in their block jerseys. But that game, <laughs> that game was a good game. Uh, just getting back to the Victor Matchfield thing. If you look at the unit, mm. it's one thing saying, Victor should come in as number five lock because he'll do this. But it's also just looking at units and where, how uh, people play together. You know, mm-hmm. it almost seems like Etzebeth and Diago, they kind of spur each other on. There's a massive physical element. I mean, Diago's made 50 tackles this tournament. There's a guy mm-hmm. who really does deserve his place and he's working for it the whole time. Victor, as a leader, sure, but it's not like we don't have any other leaders. And as you say, mm-hmm. it's like if, if they can do it without him, I don't think he should be put back in, especially if he's got a hamstring that's, well, let's just say maybe um, isn't going to get the best price on the classifieds right now. He's not going <laughs> yeah, to no, I, I, I worry about him as a as a player. I don't think he works as hard as someone like Elizabeth, someone like Diaka. And I know he's got leadership, and I know they say this is the point in the competition where it sort of matters the most or means the most. But for me, it's uh, you know those guys are playing so well. They're young and they're hungry and they really want to go out there and, and play and. They're taking in, if you watch that Scotland game again, how much ball the loose forwards and the, the tight five took up. It, it, it's just, at Victor Matt with 38 is potentially a bit much to ask of his body. And I know he's been in the paper saying, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to help out the squad. And I think at this point, maybe, maybe off the bench, potentially, possibly, but, uh, you know, the other games that we've lost this year, when we were up against the Wallabies by, what, seven, ten points with mm. ten minutes to go, we were up against the All Blacks. We kept losing at the end. And whether that's fitness, whether that's another issue, but if the leadership is so important, then why aren't those leaders guiding us to wins when it matters the most? Because once you're at the World Cup, it's done. You're talking about for another four years. And those guys, the younger guys, are the ones who are going to learn from that. So I'm I'm a big advocate for youth. I'm a big advocate for giving guys a go. And especially when they're playing as well as, I mean, Lurt is just picking up Man of the Match awards wherever he goes throughout England. And you've got to play him. And Etzebeth is all for me. 
Yeah, I look, I totally agree. I still believe this. People always say an impact player must be on the bench to make an impact. That's why you can't have Victor there because he's not a physical mm. impact. But there's also the calming aspect of leadership in the last 20. Mm. I mean, it just losses take, take into that. So a quick look mm. at Pool C. Uh, we're actually time's flying here. Pool C, okay. Argentina, New Zealand, those are always going to be the two teams going through. And it was always going to be sort of a slight chance that Argentina could have an upset in that first match. Wasn't to be. It's been done and dusted ever since. Big key talking points from New Zealand's point of view. Have we seen enough to even make any sort of assessments? Well, I mean, again, this is this is the old question: Is Steve Hansen just keeping his cards close to his chest? Yeah, New Zealand haven't really done much, but at the same time, they've done enough. Just like the Springboks, yeah, they haven't yeah. necessarily been the best team that we know they can be. But look where they are; they're sitting pretty top their pool and, and did what was necessary. I don't think you can look too much into a game against Namibia. There's a lot of disruption stuff like that. I still mm-hmm. consider them the favourites. Uh, well, they're more Australia for me at this point. But, um, yeah, I, I think Argentina are a much better side than people give them credit for, and they did push New Zealand pretty hard. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think the All Blacks will be too concerned about, you know, the stats against Georgia and Namibia because yeah. uh, the important thing is they, they, they got to where they want to be, top of pool, uh, pool C, and then they'll just sort of look forward from here. Okay, most likely backline. Obviously, we've got uh, Aaron Smith, Dan Carter, those two cast in stone. What do you reckon mm. is going to happen with the centres? Is Sonny Bull going to start? Well, I, I think he will. You know, it's it's funny how quickly guys sort of find form. At the end of last year, maybe Sonny Bill was uh, unquestionably the starting centre. Nonu this year has just been awesome. But then yeah. suddenly at the World Cup, Sonny Bill has just come out again. And I think based on form, you know, Hansen's never been scared. He's not one for sentiment. And I know Nonu's just got his 100 tests or whatever. But I, I, for me, Sonny Bill's the form player. And I, I, I would definitely see him starting against France for sure. Yeah, I agree. Milner Scudder or Naholo? I'm I'm a big fan of Milner Scudder. I just think he, the the things that he can do um, in short spaces and small spaces is incredible. And you know, if you look at a few guys like Kirtley Beal, uh, the Aussies and the Kiwis like to implement a winger who can come in at first receiver when the ball's out wide. And mm. it's it's normally a sort of fast stepping guy. And a guy like Kirtley Beal or Milner Scudder taking first receiver ball. It just keeps defenses guessing. I'm a big fan of what of what he offers that team, and I know there's a lot of guys who would say Nahalo is a try scoring machine, but I, I do think the variety that Milner's got to offers is uh, is well, I'd pick him based on that alone. Well, I totally agree with you, especially if you look at you know obviously the, all the comparisons going back to 2007 when France beat uh, the All Blacks, and the All Blacks were just trying so hard at their line for so long in their second half. You know there was never anyone mm. to break it. I think uh, Luke McAllister was fly off that day. That they had. Uh, Aaron Major was still playing, and they just couldn't do it. You got a guy like Sunnyville who could do something, get an offload to Milner Scudder. Suddenly, you can manufacture a try. So I'd go exactly with yeah. you on that. Quickly into Pool D, mm. France. Mm. Is there anything to worry about here? Say again. Sorry, you broke up there. France. Is there anything to really worry about here, other than the fact that they have this reputation of being unpredictable, which is so hard no, to kind I... of give credence to, but at the same time, you can't ignore it. Yeah, I, I, I think you can ignore it a bit more these days. They really haven't brought up much. You know, they they, they always talked about this week being the big week and they, they looked unconvincing as Romania. They said, yeah, but here we go. We got Ireland. And a lot of it, a lot of their players looked in that game, especially at the breakdown. They looked like they sort of found out of the ga- about the game 45 minutes before it started. They didn't seem to know what they were doing or what the plan was. And they didn't seem to really know what the Irish, you know, what the Irish were going to offer. And at that breakdown with, with the centers they'd picked, you knew they were going to hit hard in that midfield and then get go forward ball for those, you know, the flankers to get involved in the breakdown. But they just didn't seem to be that cohesion. I, 
I know that everyone's talking it up and they're saying, well, the Kiwis uh, playing against France in Cardiff 2007, I think those demons will be put to bed within the first 20 minutes of that game, to be honest. I don't Easily. think France offer very much at all. Easily. I think it's, you know, their, their local league is so strong, but it's strong with guys like Matt Gitto um, mm, yeah. and, and all South Africans. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the one thing from, from Pool D is that, yes, Ireland deserve to finish top their Six Nations mm. champs the last two years. But again, mm. you know, if losing Paul O'Connell obviously is a big deal, but losing mm. Sexton as well, sure, you can get the replacement players and they came in and because they're coming in and they know what the job is in that moment, great but now if they've got to prepare an entire week knowing they've got now be argentina so much pressure on them i think it's a hell of a lot tougher and i'm gonna go as far as to say i think argentina can pip them this weekend yeah i I think that's a very good shot and i'd say that's for me that's the closest of all of them if you'd looked at it before the world cup you might not have thought so but with those injuries and i I don't know if you know but about 10 minutes ago it was confirmed that uh, peter mahoney is out for the world World cup and yeah it looks like o'connell as you said so those are some big players that's their number Uh, six Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he's out. He's confirmed as out. And the one thing for Ireland was always going to be depth. You know, they, they're a well-drilled side. They're very motivated and they, and they know their jobs real. Joe Schmidt is big on guys knowing their jobs and what they need to do. But now you've got a sort of a few guys coming in that haven't really been in the setup, haven't won those six nations with the team. And uh, I think they're right for the picking Argentina and playing some good rugby. And that could be a very big scare for Ireland there. Cool, Keith. Well, thank you so much for your time. We have run on a little bit further than I was expecting. But again, just getting, getting your insights is always absolutely priceless. Where can we find more of you on the internet throughout the World Cup? Um, well, I've just as uh, I've been working for Sky Sports at the moment, so uh, all the stuff's going to go on there. I'll be doing a few features. I had a chat with Andre Stamon recently. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all full-time there. And i um, been lucky enough to go to the games to them. So if anyone's following Sky Sports or follow me on Twitter, then you can uh, see all the work from there. Fantastic. Uh, I will include your Twitter handle on the podcast when I tweet it out later. Keith, thanks so much. And hopefully uh, the weather maintains, well, stays good and the beers stay cold. You can really enjoy a South African victory in the end. It's a massive long shot. It's a massive long shot, but you'll be a hero in the workplace after that. (laughs) I hope so. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Thanks, Keith. Cheers, eh? All right. So that's uh, that's Keith Moore. And I think um, it's always great to get a guest who I agree with totally. Jeez, things fly, Duncan. Look at that. 15 minutes to go right so there we have just what happened from the pools i think it was such an interesting sort of three weeks three four weeks of rugby in that sure there was a lot that went to script but a couple of real real attractions but now we get to the quarterfinals and this is what we're going to wrap up for this week we're going to go through uh we're going to go through the matches so what we need to look out for because just a few days away now and uh as i said Maybe Japan to replace Scotland. Otherwise, these are the best quarterfinals. I think I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't choose anyone else uh, over these ones. So before we get into that, let's just get the thoughts of Philippe Saint Andre. He is the French coach, and here's a question which we're all kind of thinking about. Who would you have rather played in the quarterfinal, the All Blacks or Argentina? And was there any element of bluffing tonight? Are we? <laughs> We did in purpose, you know, to play New Zealand. So, <laughs> ah, today, you know, Ireland deserve to win. So now we don't have the choice, you know. So we'll play New Zealand, and uh, we know it's a tough game, but uh, we are not out of the competition. So we need to stick together, put the spirit back, and perform much, much, much better than we did uh, today. 
Well, they did not perform very good yesterday. As Keith said, it looked like a team that had been told about the game about half an hour before. They just didn't seem to offer much cohesion. That Scott Spedding looked quite decent from the back and he kicked the ball very hard. But outside of that, what do the Frenchies really have? You know, it always goes back to reputation with them. It's like, oh, well, you never know. And like they've hurt New Zealand before. Yes, of course, they made the finals last time, going down narrowly 8-7 to the All Blacks at Eden Park. I was there that day. It was the coldest ever been in my whole life. And what a nervy finish that was. But France is going backwards. They have been going backwards for a few years now, so don't get too worried about that. But first, before we get into their match, their much-anticipated match against the All Blacks, let's look at the first semi-final. That is Saturday at 5 o'clock South African time. All the times I'll be giving you right now are South African times. SA versus Wales. Now, the last time these two teams played, Wales won that one 12-6. And if you look at the games prior to that, you remember Warren Gatlin was so close to getting that first Welsh win in South Africa. It came down to a penalty try in the death when someone tried to decapitate Cornel Hendricks. So these guys have really have been pushing us in the last sort of year or so. So if you just look at like... um Go through the stats again. If you look at the two teams of comparison, one was in a pretty easy pool, other one was in a very tough pool. Not too much as drawing to the stats in the back of that. Uh, they're very, very similar, very evenly matched. And if anything, well, maybe some more missed tackles for the Welsh, but of course, much more pressure there. 65 missed tackles to the box, 48, but they were being tested in every single match, essentially. Points, 171 points for the box, 111 for the, for the Welsh. Discipline pretty good, uh, no red cards, there's been a few yellows here and there. But to look into it, this is the prime example of does it pay to have a tough run into the, the quarterfinals so you're really match fit and hardened, or if you can keep the players relatively fresh and have decent runouts. South Africa had the decent runouts, the Welsh have been battered and bruised for the last sort of three weeks. They've also had the injuries. So Wales haven't had they haven't got the first choice fullback. We all know that. Half penny barred out before the tournament started. Scrum off as well. Forward pack's still pretty decent. You've got Sam Warburton, who I think is a fantastic leader. He really, really is quite something. You've got a, uh, I think Tuparik is the name of the other flank. All these guys play so well to the ball. And the key for winning a World Cup is scrum well, boss the breakdown, kick your points. Dan Bigger, fantastic kick. He's missed one kick this entire World Cup. The big key issue here is I think South Africa has more depth. They're a lot fresher. And I think they can make more of an impact off the bench. These are key aspects when it comes to tight matches. So, cock on block here with a little prediction, which I will give you all the games here. I say SA are going to beat Wales by six points. It's going to be very tough. I don't think there will be too many tries. Uh, I think both teams will be looking to size each other because it will be so cautious, safety first. The Welsh, if they had two or three more players, I reckon they would be definite favorites for this one they've done so well and they've got a really really intelligent game as keith said these guys really adapt well to challenges and they're super fit they trained in the arctic they trained in the desert they basically trained where those guys were making the stadiums and dying in Qatar or doha or wherever it was so these guys are hard ass they really really are hard but i think it's just one game too much that a lot was taken out of them in beating england and it was a fine win and i think a lot was taken them taken out against australia Again, this is a team that couldn't get over the line when there was only 13 people defending it. So I think they are a little bit drained. And uh, to pick it up again this week, maybe a game too far. Saturday, 9 o'clock, that will be France versus New Zealand. So what you'll find from people this week is they'll try whatever they can to draw parallels between 2007 and now. Of course, in 2007, these two teams met in the quarterfinals. It was in Cardiff. And uh, a few forward passes here and there, some dodgy referee decisions. And before you know it, All Blacks were out of the World Cup. Now, back in 99, 
France also absolutely blitzed New Zealand after trailing early on. So they knocked them out of the World Cup there. And this has all happened in the same place in uh, England, the great United Kingdom. But so much has happened since then. New Zealand have become world champs. They've really dominated the, the modern game. They've really evolved rugby. And uh, France have got nothing but backwards. Sure, they've got Thierry Dessartois, who probably has the best name in rugby, also one of the greatest open side uh, flankers or loose forwards. But they just haven't got enough going for them. I think Freddie Michelak is a desperate choice. I think he he was on the way out when he played for the Sharks a few years ago. And uh, there's just no cohesion. Yes, they've got talented players, but I don't think France are going to offer much as far as New Zealand's concerned. This could actually just be a runaway victory for the for the All Blacks. It's a team that hasn't really been tested yet, but you know they've got all the firepower in the world. Just going through that, that back line as I was with Keith just now, I don't see any team that's really going to be able to stop them for 80 minutes in this World Cup. Like it's hardly an insightful thing to say. I think everyone knew that from the start. It'll take an absolute best effort from a team like, say, Australia, South Africa, uh, or maybe Ireland. Otherwise, I don't think a single team is going to match New Zealand when it really comes to crunch after 80 minutes. That brings us to Sunday's matches. Now, if my predictions go right there, let's just say New Zealand are going to win that one by 16, that would then mean SA plays New Zealand in the top half semi-final. Again, we, I think we all called this the beginning of the tournament. It's on the play out on that. But that's if Wales and France both lose, which I think they will. Sunday's matches, 2 o'clock on Sunday, slightly earlier start here. Ireland play Argentina. Now, this is going to be, and again, Keith um, agreed with me, I reckon this is going to be the tightest of all the games here. SA versus Wales will be tight score-wise, but I think South Africa will have the wood on them. It's just that they, they like to uh, make things tighter than it is. Ireland, as you just heard, they've lost uh, they lost the flank. They've lost their inspirational captain, and Johnny Sexton is doubtful. So to, with those with those replacements coming in, now having to prepare for a pretty rampant Argentine side, I don't see them doing this. There's so much pressure on these guys. This is the year that they were going to finally do well in the World Cup. But Argentina, they've come through a pretty decent group in that they had the test against the All Blacks. They did very well. They definitely ticked a lot of boxes there. They've then just been running their game, and they've had a lot of freedom and have developed a lot of confidence going into this quarterfinal. They've got a great scrum. They man the breakdowns pretty well, and uh, kicking games always been strong from the Argentine side. Ireland, I think you're going to bow out, and I'm going to make that call. It's a tough one to make because defending Six Nations champs the last two years, uh, these guys look good. They absolutely obliterated France last night, although France didn't look too bothered. Going to go Argentina by four in that one. Uh, okay. Uh, Duncan informs me we've got a caller. So before we get to the Australia versus Scotland match, uh, Duncan? Justin. Hello? Justin, who called it? Hello? Yeah, hello. I can hear you. How's it, Brit? It's Justin, yeah, Ben. How are you, Brit? Yeah, Justin, solid, bud. Carry on. Uh, but, uh, what do you like the starting lineup's going to be for Booker, eh? Because, uh, yes, I'm going to be quite pissed if uh, all the picks is going to come back into the lineup. I think freaking uh, Homer and Lady's uh, hamstrings are stronger than this. Uh, well, there's been talk that they should try to take home and his hamstrings and actually transplant them into Victor. Look, I think it's always going to happen. Honeykiss got his favorites and Victor's going to be in the team. So I don't think we should even worry about that. It's unfortunate, but it's going to happen. But, uh, listen, uh, I think, uh, the biggest threat for Wales is Dan Digger. Are we going to nullify that? Oak? Yeah, 
she's look, Justin. I think when it comes down to it, they're going to need a bit more than just a kicking fly off. I think they just don't have um, ways of scoring too many tries post that. They, 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 I mean, George North having to play in the centre is a big worry for them. It's not his uh, preferred position, and I reckon Pollard's been so good on defence. I mean, he's a big boykey, and he, and he yeah. tackles tackles bloody well. I think that's been the big edge. People say Lambie should be in, but Honey Kamara knows when it comes to games like this, a guy like Pollard can match bigger in every single possible way and probably overpower him. In his uh, hundred kicking, uh, he's uh, missed a few kicks. I know he's got better, but uh, in his uh, knockout games, we need a uh, pretty much hundred percent kicking record. So maybe bring Monek in on the bench, or you put Lamy on the bench. Yeah, I think Hanika may will be tried that, but I mean, Monek wasn't flash eh? in the game against the USA. He came on, I think, got one out of three, and, that, and, that's, and that's the game with no pressure. Yeah, yeah, right. And then uh, in the centres. Jesse, he's really battling. Uh, uh, Defensive-wise, you know, he's getting bumped off so often. And uh, on attack, you know, you heard Nick Mallet. He just tucks it under his arm and tries to run into a wall. So uh, don't you like Young should uh, have a bit of a crack here, you know? Yeah, look, it's. I think... It wouldn't be completely unseen for Hani Kamea to go with that. He's often played two inside centers, uh, at center. Uh, but you know, you've got to look at the, the, the viewer figures. Jesse's abs in those tight shirts. I think he'll always go through. Commercial, <laughs> rugby's about commercial aspect as well, huh? Yeah. Just that, that. that's all the time we got, got left. Any other contentious selections you want to quickly run past? Sorry? Any other contentious selection issues that we should worry about? Uh, yeah, listen, I think the beast is looking a bit jaded. Uh, right, uh, old Trevor gets a go, but, you know, obviously they're going to say experience in these knockout games, but Trevor, Trevor needs a go, eh? I reckon what they should do is say, Beast, give me 40 minutes of your life and we'll take it from there. And I incentivize the guy to really come out firing. And, uh, you know, Trevor... Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the plan. Justin, thanks so much for your call, bud. I'm going to have to stop, stop, catch you up there. All right, thank okay. you. Awesome. And then, yeah, final game quickly. Got we got to got to wrap it up. Australia versus Scotland. Not a chance Scotland are going to win this one. Haven't got the team. They've been battered and bruised. Aussies looking really good. Look for the Aussies to win that one by twenty plus. That is everything you need to know. If you haven't got everything live, catch the podcast at cliffcentral.com and look out for more tweets at Follow the Bounce. I'll give you all the details. Thanks so much for joining me today. And uh, go Boca. Beating Wales, and then from there, then the real fun starts. Thanks so much for joining us. This is cliffcentral.com.